Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches Volume 4, written by M.J.L. Evans and G.M. O'Connor. The intrigue intensifies for the wenches of Port Royal. Volume 4 of 5 begins with repercussions for the murder of Bartolomeo Portuguese, which ripples through the Brethren of the Coast. A secret network of women is formed deep within the Swiftshire Tavern in the Wench's Cauldron. Port Royal awaits the arrival of the Spanish Armada, while Laurent de Graff's buccaneers prepare to strike as tensions boil over in the wickedest city on earth. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from No Quarter, Wench's Volume 4. Moving Up in the World Adia placed her hand on the window of Widobel's spare bedroom. Her breath against the surface made the world look hazy. A drifting hull with broken masts glided towards the huge citadel of Fort Charles, while the battery at Morgan's line pointed its cannons to the sea. Her expression was slack, and her eyes stung. So, how long have you known? Atia pulled away from the glass to watch Rosie as she wept into a handkerchief. Recently, some fishermen found her. I'm so sorry. Widderbelt entered with tea and biscuits on a silver tray. Rosie blew her nose. I had to tell her about her sister. She was determined to go look for her. Artia's eyes shifted to the pair. You both knew. Widowbell set the tray down and sat beside her on the window bench. We thought it best to wait, since you'd lost the baby. Artia hugged her knees to her chest. Was it Slasher Al? Aye, that's what they say. The bell to the front door chimed. Widow Bell patted Atia's knee and stood. Try to eat something. She eyed Rosie. Stay with her. I, I look after you, Atia. Rosie rubbed her eyes. Widow Bell's footsteps creaked on the stairs. I come with news for Atia, a familiar Scottish accent declared. Widow Bell released an exhausted sigh and opened the door. Well, she's upstairs. Nessie rushed in and darted up the steps. So much for secrecy, Widabel huffed. Nessie entered the room and rushed over to give Atia and Rosie a hug. I know she's dead, Nessie, Atia said. Nessie gave Rosie a look. You told her? You knew as well, Atia shrieked indignantly. Nessie's cheeks flared. No, no, that's all over the docks. You're bloody new and none of you told me. Atia rose. I'm getting out of here. Try to stay calm, Rosie soothed. Calm, calm, you say. Atia went to grab her cloak. I must find me brothers, me whole family. They're all gone but me brothers. We're gonna cut them bastards into little pieces. 
I'm going to cut him up. Rosie blocked the door. Take it easy. There's more. Nessie swallowed hard. I've come to tell you that Glenda had to give up the room at the Wild Orchid. My room? Rosie exclaimed. No! My room, you mean, Artie said. She had to. Captain Longstaff's strumpet batch wants it. She's paid for it for the next six months. We got to clear out your belongings, yours and Artie's. Widabel entered, bringing in another plateful of biscuits and tea cakes. But don't bring it here. We've got enough suspicion pointing in our direction. She set the plate down beside the other full plate of goodies. What about the Swiftshire? All the rooms are booked, Nessie said and thought for a moment. There's the old bakehouse. The secret room. Widow Bell's eyes narrowed. What secret room? There's a secret room under the tavern that used to be a shipping office until they built the Wherry Bridge. They didn't tear it down. Nay, they built atop it. Widowbell nodded. Move all your stuff there. Take the Wherryman's coach. I can't drive you, but I'll meet you at the Swiftshire tonight. I want to see this room for myself. I'm coming with you, Artia insisted. It better you stay here, Widowbell said. You're fragile, and you can't be seen. I got no reason left to hide. Weakness forced Artia to sit back down. Well, I got plenty of reasons myself. My family is at risk, so you can't get caught. Widowbell paused. Your captain knows patience when it comes to revenge. Artia cocked her head. The man who tried to invade Jamaica alone? Widowbell looked like she was about to agree. We'll find your brothers, Artia. Just rest for now, please. Nessie tapped Rosie's shoulder. We gotta go get your stuff out of there. Artia's too. She turned to Widowbell. Meet us by the back stairs at eight bells. You better go now, Artia addressed Rosie. Are you sure? I could stay a while longer. You'll be all right, Artia. Go, Rosie, love. I'll see you later. Clear out my stuff for me. I will. Nessie and Rosie left the room and Artia stared out the window. She drew the symbol of an onk on the dusty glass. I'm so sorry about your sister, dear, Widabel said. So am I. The sound of a door slamming downstairs and, Who are you? Drew Widowbell. It's fine busy there with me. Just running an errand off you go, girls. Another door banged. You're back early. Jamie spotted a wreck to the south, Busy said. You're not holding meetings, are you? Footsteps progressed up the stairs. I said no going upstairs, Widowbell yelled. Why not? Busy questioned. What's up there? Busy's children, Jamie and Isabella, entered the room. 
Widabel spoke of them before. Isabella stood with her mouth ajar at the sight of Atia. You're ready to catch flies, love. What are you doing in here? She's a strumpet, ain't she? Jamie went to open the drawer to retrieve a telescope. Busy and Widobell arrived. A wench without a home, Widobell explained. She needs a place to stay for a few days. Wench, I'm moving up in the world, Artia spoke dryly. Do I hear Trollope next? Jamie opened the window to the water. It is! Look! It's a wreck! They all gazed out to see a hull drifting in. People gathered on the beach and boats were venturing out. A schooner, it looks like. Betcha she's fast. Maybe it's a pirate. Fast, Isabella scoffed. It ain't got no masts. On a good day, you lousy lewdster. Don't call me that dog boy or I'll give you another spit shine. Jamie, don't call your sister that. And don't call him that neither. Busy met Widobell's glance. What the hell is a spit shine? Artia covered her mouth to hide a laugh, while tears prickled in her eyes. She wanted to see her brother so badly that her chest ached. Jamie raced back downstairs, and Isabella chased him. Not a word about our guest here. Widobell faced Busy's scrutiny. We had to keep her here a while. Mrs. Beasley had a bit of trouble. She's said to be dead, this one. I know who she is. I have seen her before. Don't think I'm not pleased you're alive, Atia. I am. But how did you get here? You wasn't supposed to be home yet, Widobell asserted. But why here, Easy? You know Bleeding Art's watching. She's dangerous. My children's safety is at stake. How can we keep it a secret? She has to go. Backford is searching Mrs. Beasley's house. He discovered Rosie Burghill staying there. We had no choice but to hire her on. Don't tell me you've been protecting her too? Busy snapped. How long has this been going on? She's hiding here for a short while. You weren't supposed to know she was here. Now, if everyone thinks she's dead, she's safe. Widobell crossed arms. The upstairs room is out of the way. No one comes up here. It's my own personal room. Busy looked through the window. There's Beckford and Bleeding Art coming this way. Then Mrs. Beasley owes our derelict friend a thank you. I better go, too. Busy moved to the door. The boy's liable to tell them all about the red-headed wench upstairs. Right. A lot safer here it is. I should hang myself and save time, Artia said scathingly. I told you I'd get discovered. First day is less than I expected, but... C'est la vie. Busy left. They won't tell anyone you're up here. This is the best place for you right now. It might be better if I went someplace quieter. A tavern, perhaps? Busy followed Jamie down the coal lane to the beach. 
former firemaster Keane, Beckford, and White peered through telescopes at the Hulk. Townsfolk organized rowboats to aid the rescue. Bleeding Art's carriage pulled up. Falcon and Drake are away, chasing the pirate attack on Captain Prinz, White said. Prinz is under attack, you say? Art mused. I wondered what all the noise was this morning. Is it a pirate ship? Jamie asked. Betcha she's fast. And that be a sound bet, Art said. Looks like a corvette of a sort. Tell her to the east landing for Kareen and refit. Beckford looked confused. Why tell her? Cause fingering won't do any good. You mean to salvage her? White glanced at Art. Peeps will have one look at that hawk and declare it a loss. I mean to fix her. That be one of the finest ships I ever seen. I'll rebuild her like new, you wait. Then I'll leave it in your capable hands, Captain. White pointed to Jamie. He's a lifesaver. He's in charge. Jamie's eyes lit up. Hear that? I'm in charge. He ran off, calling. All hands on deck! White shrugged. He couldn't be any worse than our current government. Beckford took charge of the rowboats and organized the rescue. Busy sent her children home before boarding a rowboat which approached the red and gold hull. The ship name, Stachelrochen, came into view. Her deck was full of starving men in rags who'd been rowing with broken oars. Have to, Beckford ordered. Busy and other volunteers leapt aboard to evacuate the wounded. Militiamen arrived to secure the vessel for towing. Once landed, the crew were taken to the infirmary at Fort Carlisle. Dr. McCaskill tended the injured, while Busy and Betty White helped to nurse the 38 Germans. Sheriff Goblet, White began, congratulations on the new post. Thank you, Captain White. It's acting, Sheriff. Who are these men? Habsburg or Brandenburg or some kind of burg, anyhow. We're examining the log now. Busy fetched fresh cotton cloths from a cupboard and filled a bucket with water from a barrel. She then cleaned wounds. Nearby, Harbour Master Peeps opened the logbook and skimmed its contents. They sailed from Lake Maracaibo in July, then hit by a hurricane. They've been sinking and drifting west, almost into Yucatan Bay, and attacked by pirates many times. How they made it is quite a feat. This is the German privateer sent to negotiate the release of the Habsburg hostages. The ones who disappeared with O'Malley's kin, Beckford said. White laughed wryly. Well, we got good news and bad news, Fritz. They can't stay in here forever. Wounded are coming in from the east. Soon as they're able to be moved, find them accommodation, Beckford said. Blidenot's putting them up at his taverns, White said. Why is that? Beckford asked. 
I'm sure he just wants to get to the bottom of that hostage fiasco, as the rest of us do. While he's here, the German privateer will be treated with the utmost respect. What about the ship? White wondered. Can Bleeding Art save her? She sound, aye, the harbormaster agreed. She's a light warship, classed as a corvette with characteristics of a schooner and galliot. She might be the most innovative design I ever seen. Those Germans are skilled builders, Beckford said. She's not German, but American. Launched from Newport as the corvette Stingray. White seemed surprised. You jest. What's a corvette Stingray? Goblet asked. The Stingray was the prototype for a privateering vessel designed by Thomas Paine, Pepys explained. Major Paine? Goblet's eyes widened. Aye, when he was captain of the Rhode Island Rogues. The harbormaster lit his pipe. Made to navigate the shallows and difficult passages of the eastern seaboard. Newport, down to the Bahamas. She disappeared without a trace in 1680. The same year she was launched. Aye, I remember, White spoke thoughtfully. The year of the Great Comet. Aye, the Brandenburg fleet was here, collecting on a debt from the Spanish. Stingray was assigned to Gel Lucas, one of our privateers, under the Capitaine, when he was... Lesage, who later became Gator Gary or something, Beckford said. Gator Gar, a river shark, White corrected. Pirates and buccaneers changed their names more often than their clothes. We all had false names in the pirate days. What was your pirate name? Beckford asked. Captain White. Busy tried to contain a smile. Ah. The good old days of when her and Easy joined in on pirate raids. Things seemed simpler back then, and at times she missed her lover James and the father of her children. How was Stingray lost? Goblet queried. You want me to remember 1680? White massaged his temples. Can we take this up at the pub? Lacar's orders were to escort the Brandenburg ships to Havana then patrol the Bahamas to Bermuda, and return home to Newport, the harbormaster explained. She disappeared into the Bermuda Triangle, they say. I'd like to talk with Major Payne, Beckford said. This proves the Brandenburgs took her, illegally. White shook his head. No, it doesn't. Our privateer Dietrich here isn't Brandenburg either. But a Braunschmidt out of Hamburg. Besides, Major Payne has been sent north to deal with French pirates from Arcadia. Bloody Arcadians again! Colonel Beckford, we followed those German ships. They never went near the Bahamas or Bermuda, Pepe said. After Havana, they sortied the Costa Rican coast and battled Lawrence de Graff in the Yucatan Bay. Goblet waved away the tobacco smoke, coughing. What does the logbook say? 
Only that the Braunschmidt's bought her legally, in Biscay, where she was refitted with the latest Spanish innovations. Beckford made a note in his book. We'll have to ensure she's returned to her rightful owners. Yes, I agree. She should be pressed into service for the crown as soon as she's refit, Goblet said. Well, first off, Sheriff Goblet, you're a sheriff. White tried to sound overly polite. Second, the crew gets pressed, not the ship. And lastly, they bought her legally. Leave Captain Dietrich and his corvette Stingray to myself and bleed an art. We'll make use of them. He looked to the harbour where Stingray, being towed by longboats, passed busy docks and warehouses. She'll serve Port Royal well. We're going to need every ship we can get. After many hours of cleansing and stitching wounds, Busy was permitted to go home. She wondered what rebellious activities Widow Bell was up to now. Busy dreaded the day she would have to choose between her children's safety and Easy's friendship. The gates opened to the governor's mansion, and acting Lieutenant Governor Dewar's carriage rolled onto Church Street. Dewar opened the door, spraying the public in a stream of urine as they walked along the street. Passers-by shrieked with disgust. Lord Llewellyn and Sleemans sat inside, shielding themselves with parchment from any backspray. Are you sure you want hangings at the coronation? Sleemans asked. It's a must. Their little feet can dangle and flitter along with the music if you time it right. Choreographed hangings to usher in a new era. Good idea. Make sure it's included in the painting. Dewar fastened his trousers and sat back down. What's all the commotion about? Maybe you pissed out the wrong side? Llewellyn suggested. I know what side I pissed on. Dewar fluffed up his lace sleeves. I am governor after all. It's what you call pissing on the lower classes, Larry. Commanding, sir, pissing with authority. Sleeman sighed. It's morning, and you're already pissed. Correction, Llewellyn waggled his finger. We're three sheets to the gills. Precisely. Dewar took a mouthful from a gold flask encrusted with red and green jewels. Something has to keep my mind off that harrowing experience of exile. The carriage slowed, blocked by townspeople who had gathered on the beach. I'm all out. Your turn, Larry. Give him a golden shower, courtesy of their government. Llewellyn glanced out the window. There is a commotion. What's going on out there anyway? A derelict arrived, Sleeman said. Another one. This city needs new strumpets. I miss Katie. Remember her? Llewellyn elbowed his friend. The one who got suddenly quiet and then vanished. The good ones come and go so quickly here. Sleeman shut his eyes a moment. No, a derelict ship. Some sort of German Habsburg or Brandenburg. It has a nice flag, whatever it is. You better not have lost my castle, Dewar said. 
Kallenberg Castle is still being demolished, with each piece carefully categorized and marked. That's so they put it back right, right? Llewellyn checked. Well, you do want it to look like the diagram. Well, make sure this Germanberg pays the mooring fees, just because he has no masts. Doesn't mean he gets a free ride. Sleemans looked at Dua sideways. It's a rescue. Splendid! We can add a rescue tax, Llewellyn suggested. Now that's thinking. Llewellyn took a book from his pocket and thumbed through its pictures. I didn't know you read, Sleemans remarked. What is that? It's my first edition copy of Demonology by King James I. I carry it with pride when I go to church. Llewellyn displayed the handwritten dedication. James II even inscribed his granddaddy's preface right here. Dear Larry L. Burnham War. Love, K.J. He sighed. God, it must be good to be king. His granddaddy wrote his own Bible, you know. Now that's power for you. Why did he rewrite it? Dua scratched the top of his head. The Bible. Didn't God write that? I don't know. I like the illustrations. Perhaps it needed a punchier ending. Dua shrugged. Maybe God needed sorting out. He probably had a Holy Ghost writer. Llewellyn paused, as if waiting for a laugh. Why is Church Street always so bloody busy? Shouldn't all these plebs be going to church? Instead of gawking at the stranded boat like a herd of cattle waiting for the turn of the trough. It's Wednesday, Sleeman said. Balderdash, where are we going then? Dewar asked. We have to go to Fort Charles for the flag ceremony. We'll have a splendid view of the rescue operation from up there. Dewar was mortified. I have to stand around in the sun while I'm corked? Llewellyn removed his gold flask and took a sip. Good thing I brought some for the road. We're in a time of crisis. We must demonstrate solid leadership and stability, Sleeman said. You can't stand up, I hope. Be forewarned, I'm going to pee a lot, Dua replied. Rosie Burghill sat beside Nessie in a wherryman's carriage as they headed to the wild orchid palace. They swayed in their seats, hitting every bump and crack along Lime Street. Here you be, the driver said. We won't be long, Nessie said. They entered the pale pink building and climbed the grand staircase to the top floor. So, why can't you move out? Nessie asked. Rosie waved at her to be quiet. I'll show you. Room 8 had ornate plasterwork on the ceiling and mahogany wood furnishings. The walls were covered with a pale yellow and deep purple Italian fabric and a large portrait. Is that the Duchess of Albemarle? Nessie stood before the painting. Nice old girl, 
meant a lot to you. No, there's a secret passage behind it. Rosie accessed an opening. See? Where does it go? It leads to every floor, into the backs of closets, from the attic, and all the way down to the sandy basement. I've used it to hide from everyone. Rosie paused. You see, I've been here since my father died. This was the only place I've been safe. Footsteps sounded outside the door. Rosie quickly closed the passage before Violante Hayes entered the room. Hi, pleased to see you. Rosie Burkhill, what are you doing here? I'm, uh... Nessie stepped between them. She's helping me out. What's that to ya? I'm renting this suite. Get out. We're helping move out your stuff. We got the wearyman's carriage waiting outside. Violante's face softened. Aye, it was Artie's room. You as friends. I'm sorry for what happened to her and her sister. Did you get to know her well? No, but I heard she gave Cherry a sound thumping. Nessie smiled. Aye, them two scraped like pet bull terriers. Well, my navy captain is paying for this room. I want to move in here tonight. Be moved out by sundown. I will have it all done by sundown, Nessie agreed. Fine, then. Good day. Violante left. Nessie gave rude hand gestures before shutting the door. She went to the window to look at Lime Street below. Glenda, Chara Cole, and Mary Barr strolled within the crowd from High Street to Turtle Crawls. Lamb S.N., I got to go. What should I do? Start packing. I'll be back. But she's seen us together. Nessie's eyes shifted to the painting. Who? Violante Hayes. Nessie moved to the door. We'll worry about her later. Get this stuff packed. She departed in a hurry. Rosie relatched the door. She glanced at the portrait of the Duchess of Albemarle. I know, I know. You told me this would happen. Don't you worry. I'll think of something. I'm not going anywhere. Glenda navigated turtle crawls through stacks of food crates and water barrels, all being loaded onto carts for distribution to merchants. Fish from the docks and smoke from the nearby bakehouse whirled through the air. She walked with Chara Cole, who embraced her husband, Captain George Cole. You staying this time? He kissed her forehead. As long as you'll have me. Nessie swiped a banana from a cart and ate it. I saw nothing, Cole said. Glenda said we was expecting you tomorrow. Glenda shrugged. She never trusts me. Cole smiled. Tomorrow? Kids in your slang. Is the stuff out? Glenda whispered to Nessie. She's packing now. Why does she get to kick us out? Because she's the mistress of a navy, Captain. Well... She's still just a strumpet. 
I have a question, Cole continued. Is there a reason I'm docked in Tuttlecrawls instead of my own landing? Arbormaster said Mr. Freeman ain't too pleased either. Harbormaster Peeps emerged from his shack along the dock. Captain Cole, a word. I have a word for him. Two words, in fact, Chara said to her husband. He gave her a brief hug and a wink. Well, we'll converse on those words in a bit. They proceeded to a shack where Harbormaster Peeps, Richard Peeps, and Humphrey Freeman one of the old Port Royal captains, argued inside. Those docks do not belong to the crown, peeps, Freeman barked. They're not yours either, Freeman, Richard Peeps reminded. Do you have anything to declare? Harbormaster Peeps asked Cole. Aye, something stinks. We have a rescue underway to the south. A ship battle to the east. The docks are busy and full. Ships have to be reorganized by priority. Your ship is to be reloaded immediately. You'll take food stores and supplies round the island and deliver them to Montego Bay. Cole clenched his fist. Me? One of our naval ships is out of food, Freeman said. And water. The harbor master held open a book. There's a special wherry coming over from Ligania, bringing barrels. They'll be loaded on your ship as soon as they're here. Glenda used this moment of distraction to glimpse down at Peep's ledger. It listed the ships due to arrive in Port Royal, including Wit, Lamb, and De Fortine. A note was scribbled beside Incorrigible, indicating they were out of food. Oh, feel free. Cole said snidely. You must have other ships. What about those galleys sitting there wasting? They belong to Lord Crisp, who is due to arrive in the morrow on the East Indiaman Wit Lamb, out of Tobago, Richard Pepys explained. Harbormaster Pepys lit up his pipe and blew smoke circles above his head. Crisp's fleet is due ahead of the Spanish Armada. He has his entire fleet reserved for the North Dock to protect the flagship. I don't work for Crisp, and my docks are my docks, Freeman growled. I'm expecting compensation for having to cart goods up bloody High Street. The outgoing merchant fleet has priority over incoming luxuries ahead of Crisp's fleet. I told you as much. What do you mean luxuries? Freeman met the harbormaster toe to toe. Lamb is unloading vital necessities next to fish guts. Vital necessities? Necessities like a clarinet. What's a clarinet? A musical instrument you blow into, Cole said. Just your type two, peeps, and it's vital to the livelihood of one of my tenants, Freeman growled. Cole and his wife excused themselves. Glenda followed. Good day, gents. Harbormaster Peeps slammed his book. Where are you going, Captain Cole? I must prepare to sail. As she left, Glenda overheard Richard Peeps say, I do fancy those big bobbies. When they reached Fisher's Row, Nessie and Mary Barr were waiting. Chara gave her husband a look. You are leaving again. I'm coming with you this time. You can't, love. 
Have you not heard the stories of women on ships being bad luck? It's now a scientifically proven fact. You're all having a fine dinner at my place tonight while you're still in port, Mary Barr insisted. Did they bring us new sea sponges on bamboo sticks? Nessie asked Glenda. I for those odd-to-reach places. At sundown, Glenda and Nessie followed the dusty road of the Palisidoes. They hung a left past the graveyard and entered the lively bar's tavern, which was connected to an inn and mercantile. There they are! Mary came to greet them. Hope you don't mind we started without you. She guided them to a private dining area where two empty seats waited. Sit! Glenda's mouth watered at the roasted fowl garnished with golden yams. Smells like poultry Evan, it does. Mary poured wine while Captain Elliot carved and served. Cole stared out the window at Stachelroken. A fine-looking ship out there, that Brandenburg. Brown Schmidt, I think they said. Glenda savoured the first mouthful. Mary's eyes widened. How do you know that? I pay attention. She came looking for those German girls Cockshell and Burger had their hands on. Glenda's got extra brains stuffed away in those melons, perhaps. Chara kicked her husband beneath the table and cursed at him in Spanish. Everyone laughed. Nessie took a handful of cashew nuts and popped a few in her mouth. How come you don't bring back Brazil nuts? Chara asked her husband. I don't go to Brazil. Sailors always like to play with a handful of sea-salted nuts when they're in port. So I started leaving a bowl on each table of whatever nuts we have in, Mary explained. My nuts are quite popular. My Brazil nuts, fresh ginger root and coconuts are all courtesy of my lightning-fast alley cat, Glenda boasted. And soon opium, Nessie added. Crisp sharp is due and from Barbados. I, I saw it in Peep's book, Glenda said. Most of Port Royal's opium is supplied through Crisp, shipped via the East India Company. Mary finished chewing. Pope's tobacco makes a soothing blend of opium cigarillos. Crisp's bringing his own fleet. The East India Company cut us off due to the pirates, Cole said. Glenda took a shot of rum. And the dry gripes. They say our rum is poison. Strangeways always said it was our lead pipes causing the stomach malady, Mary said. Same could be argued for the flux, too. Then Jamaica would be completely cut off. Glenda stretched back in her chair, pleasantly full of supper. I was at Baldwin Imports today. They have an idea. They're sponsoring a boat race from Morant Bay around Hispaniola and back again. Every ship who enters is to pick up ten tons in Santo Domingo. What about the war? Chara contemplated. What about the French buccaneers? It makes sense. Cole set down his napkin on the table. The Spanish Armada is here, somewhere close by Hispaniola. Add to that, the French lost ships in the Leeward Islands, Elliot said. A race around Hispaniola to Santo Domingo is an opportunity to ship valuable cargo back to Port Royal. 
The two capitals have done it before, and it worked. What about you, Elliot? Would you enter Alicat? Cole challenged. The purse is ten thousand gold for the first ship back, Glenda grinned. How about it? Cole shrugged. Lamb is wanted in Santa Domingo. Nessie seemed suspicious. What did you do? Don't look at me, I only bought the ship. I didn't know the Spanish claimed she's an illegal prize and demand her back. That's going all the way back to Henry Morgan's day. The old quartermaster, Morris, captured her from the Cuban corsair Rivero when she was fama. You can afford a refit, Elliot said. A new look and the Spanish won't have a clue. It would be a shame to have a Caribbean boat race without the two fastest competing. That does sound like a challenge, Cole looked at his fellow captain. But there's not enough time to get her ready. I gotta run to Montego Bay. Besides, I don't got no dock. Freeman's renting a slip in Turtle Crawls. I'll meet you in Montego Bay. We'll prepare both ships for a raisee. Harry Cat and Lamb in a race of speed and skill. I can't refuse. See, si, you can. If it's to Santo Domingo, Chara said. Fret not, love. I've been in Santo Domingo before. Those Spanish knobs won't recognize her. Chara kicked him under the table. How are your knobs? Cole gave her a look and squeezed her hand. Mary leaned to Glenda. What did you get from Baldron shipping? I wasn't buying. I was selling. Our alley cat brought us in some Cuban cigars. Elliot pulled a box from his inner pocket and offered some up. Be my guest. They're the finest in the world. They each took one, drinking in the aroma before striking matches. Our contact in Florida has a taste for them. Baldwin ships up there frequently. I send them Brazil nuts, too, Glenda said. And palm nuts, Nessie puffed, blowing smoke in the air. They like those. Glenda learned the patterns quickly after taking over the Swiftshire, Cole said. She knows which ships and captains show up around the same time every year. She's ready for us before we even arrive, he raised his mug. To Glenda. They cheered, clanking their glasses. To Cuban cigars, Glenda said. They are grand, Mary inhaled deeply. How about selling some my way? I'm all out, Elliot blew a smoke ring. But next time I'm in Cuba... I got some, Glenda winked. With a small markup, they toasted again. How did you get so clever at it? Chara asked. When I first got hired on at the Swiftshire by the late Mr. Cogshall, he had a sudden staffing shortage. He told me to handle shipping and receiving. I looked over the books and took a gamble ordering supplies that captains had purchased in the past. With hope they'd do business when they arrived. And boy, was she a sight for sore eyes, Elliot tipped his hat. My telescope grew a few inches when I cast my eyes on this one. I heard there's a ship from the Orient coming, Mary said. 
Port Royal is now the leader of the New World in fine china and Chinese imports. Mrs. Howitt of Howitt's Hat Shop bought fine silks and fans. When does that French brig go up for the sale? Cole asked. The one docked by the prison. Legally, they have to wait for the trial. But we all know who's going to get the ship, Elliot said. Who? A bleeding art, of course. Who else? He owns the Navy and pretty soon half of Port Royal. Beckford acquired the last of the Albemarle estates between Loving Lane and Sweeting Lane, and they gave him the pink building on Lyme, Mary said. Glenda whispered in Nessie's ear. That's how Violante got the room. Elliot almost spat out his ale. The entire block? How is that possible without the land going up for sale? They'll have the whole city divided between them, and it'll be Morgan and Lynch all over again. White and Bleeding Art know full well we can't afford to be divided in a time of war, Cole said. What's White say about all this? Chara asked. Nay, per usual. He's as useless as the council he sits on, Elliot replied. Mary sighed. Beckford, Art, and White, they went wig on us. I fear it's not the French we'll be facing, but rather our own, Glenda speculated. Her confidence in Art had been shattered since he began serving the Whigs. She despised their kind. It was politicians like them that had killed her uncles. It weighed heavy on her decision to spy for Lawrence de Groff. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches, Volume 4. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.